You're listening to episode 153 of the Mad Chatters podcast, August 30th, 2017. Most everyone's mad here. <laughs> Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of the Mad Chatters podcast, your very important date with the happenings at Walt Disney World and around the Disney universe. My name's Derek, and I'm joined by my fellow chatters, Matthew. Howdy. And Jeremy. I, 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 I do believe I'm happy to be here. All right, well, before we get started with this week's show, I want to talk about one piece of news that hit the Twitterverse just this week. It was about a survey that was sent out to some Disney Parks guests, and it was talking about Hollywood Studios, and it said something along the lines of, if you were to visit a park that had all these different things going on, and you were to visit the world of Star Wars, and also be shrunk down to the size of toys, blah, 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 then we need a name for this park, so please choose your top three names from this list. Have you seen this list? Yes, and I thought this was some um, joke. I, I really thought somebody was being funny with the way some of these names are, but apparently this is legit. No, I thought the same thing. Like, I really researched this a lot because I'm like, I don't know. That can't be true, but it seems like it is. And the survey provided these eight possible names for what they're not saying is Hollywood Studios, but is very obviously Hollywood Studios. Disney Kaleidoscope Park. Disney it just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> DKP. <laughs> Disney Storyverse Park. Disney Hyperia Park. Okay, can we just stop right there? Hold on. Okay, Storyverse is not even a real word. Like that <laughs> why would you even want to do that? It's funny that you say that cuz I'm using Microsoft Word. 4 of the 8 have a red squiggly line under them. <laughs> and listen, I love the idea of Hyperion Park because that has a lot of Disney history. But in a name for a Disney park, you want it to have broad appeal. People are going to hear Hyperion Park and go, what in the world is that? Like that doesn't mean anything to 90% of the people that walk through yeah. those gates. Well, and what's funny is it's not Hyperion. It's Hyperia. What is that? Oh, really? Oh, I thought it was Hi- like the like the Hyperion... You would think. Oh. Yeah, I don't know. Weird. Okay. Okay, the next one doesn't have a red squiggly line. Disney Beyond Park. What does that mean? <laughs> Disney Beyond... <laughs> that, that doesn't even make sense. <laughs> anyway, okay, keep going. You know, the more I read these out loud, this cannot be real. I hope they're not real. I hope that this is some kind of uh, uh, maybe a distraction from what the real name is going to be. Maybe. I personally did not receive the survey, but I have seen several sources, you know, with screenshots, which obviously can be doctored, but it seems legit. Okay, so the next one, Disney Cinemagic Park. And then later on, Disney Cinemagine Park. (laughs) (laughs) They're so different. Listen, Disney Cinnamon Park is not going to be attractive. Right? Cinemagine. Cinemagine. But it's C-I-N-E. 
Maybe it is yeah, Cinemagine. It's cine- yeah, it's not a Cinemagine. <laughs> well, I thought that was like a French thing. That's terrific. I d- I, well, now I feel stupid. Okay, it's next. Okay. Disney Legends Park. So you'll be able to meet celebrities and Bill Cosby or something. <laughs> not Bill Cosby. You won't remember, though. And finally, Disney XL Park. Why? Why? No. <laughs> this is terrible. Like, there is not even one name in that whole group that makes me go, I, I could see that. I, that makes sense. First off, again, the name of your park has to have some sort of, I think, broad enough appeal that you don't pigeonhole yourself into anything. But also makes sense to the general public. And if you start saying Disney Beyond Park, that doesn't sound like a theme park. That sounds like a backstage tour or something, you know, that is going to be geared towards like an Uber fan, not to your average everyday guest. They ought to just call it Disney's Hollywood Adventure and just let it go with that. Well, I wonder if they have other real names picked out and these fake names like the answers that they receive will kind of lead them in the direction they want to go but these aren't like the official names that they've narrowed it down to you know what i mean i would think that yeah makes more sense than saying they're surely they're smart enough not to go with this of course maybe they have their finger on the market pulse of something that we don't yet understand i mean they're never going to call this park disney xl park i don't care if 90 percent of the people pick that (laughs) you know just the jokes alone that are going to be made from that name is enough that they should stop. That is very true. Anyway, that park, you know, we've been talking pretty much since we started this podcast in 2014 about a possible name change. It hasn't happened yet. Obviously, it's going to. And I can't wait until we finally know what it will be called. I'm saying my money is on Disney Hollywood Adventure. They're taking the studios away. It still has a broad Hollywood appeal and theme to it. Because, you you know, yes, you're going to have Star Wars, but you also still have the Tower of Terror. You still have Rock and Roller Coaster. You still have uh, Toy Story Land, Indiana Jones. Those are all Hollywood-related things. The, the Chinese theater is still going to be the prominent symbol. So it makes sense to hold on to that Hollywood uh, name. Also, Hollywood still has broad enough appeal that people will you know, identify with it and it won't be a turnoff or confusing thing to them. But you take away the studios, you add adventures, it kind of now aligns itself up with a theme park name. You got Island Adventures and Islands of Adventures. Is that it? Adventure. Yeah. Yeah. Islands of Adventure. So Adventure works as far as a, uh, a theme park name goes. So that's where my money is. Not this XL cinnamon magic mess. Cinnamon. (laughs) Cinnamon and Gene. To kick off this week's show, we have an exciting interview with two special guests we want to introduce to you. Dina Benedon and Brent Young are the owners and co-founders of a project called the Walt Disney Birthplace. Not long ago, they purchased a house just outside of downtown Chicago that was built by Walt Disney's parents, Flora and Elias, 
and was where Walt himself and his brother Roy were born and where they lived until Walt was four and Roy was 13 years old. Dina and Brent's plan is to restore the home to its original state, honoring and preserving the home for generations to come. And we spoke with Dina and Brent about the current progress of the project and what they are most excited about sharing with fans of Walt Disney. So we're going to play that for you now. All right. Well, we're joined now by Brent Young and Dina Benedon, and they are the uh, project directors of a project that's happening in Chicago, Illinois. And I think it's a wonderful thing because I've mentioned before how it's kind of a shame that the Walt Disney Company at times seems to remove themselves from Walt Disney the man. And they are making sure that that does not happen in the general culture because they are focused on the Walt Disney birthplace uh, restoration. So welcome to the podcast, guys. Thank you for joining us. Hi, thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Definitely. So we want to just kind of get some information and talk about this project and uh, kind of how it started, your vision for it, what you hope to accomplish by it. So I guess I'll just kind of start asking, what sparked this? What what made you guys want to uh, restore the home that Walt Disney was was born in? Sure. So, um, you know, one of the things that I'd like to bring up, just just a little backstory, um, and it goes to the kind of the statement that you made about, you know, Walt Disney, the company and how it separates from Walt Disney, the man. And I think actually that they do a, a, a very good job um, respecting and honoring um, the history. Uh, I mean, at certain times, it seems like uh, maybe it's a little further removed. But in this instance, um we were brought in uh, by a third party to discuss uh, a, a museum exhibit based on Walt Disney and um, uh, uh, the treasures of the Walt Disney uh, archives and how that was going to all be put together. And that's really how we found out about um, the house. Uh, we wouldn't have known if it wasn't for um, you know the Walt Disney archives and their continued effort. Um, to really keep uh, their history and legacy alive. Um, so you know, I think you know we wouldn't we wouldn't have gotten into this project that far. And then obviously the the company has been uh, very good along the way with uh, giving us resources internally and um, financially to help the project. Uh, move forward and then let getting their fans involved and D23's involvement. So, you know, I, I, I do respect the Walt Disney uh, Company for um, keeping the heritage up and legacy more than more than a lot of companies and studios. So um, anyway, we we got that's a long, long way into the into the to the project but yeah we found the house online uh while doing the research for this and we we went out to chicago and took a look at it and it was um it was in really bad shape uh and it was uh it was turned into an apartment complex and we felt uh that it was very important to preserve this piece of history and that if uh no one else was going to do it um you know we would take that on well, that's great. I didn't quite realize that the the Walt Disney Company itself was involved as much as they were. So that's that is encouraging to hear. What were you doing prior to this project? How did they reach out to you or find you all specifically? 
Well, we again, we were working with a, a third-party group that um, was looking to do this museum exhibit. Uh, so we, we, we work in the theme park industry. We do design for attractions um, all over the world. So we'll do creative concept and media-based attractions um, for, for some large uh, attractions that you'd see at like Universal Studios or um, you know, at, at your local uh, maybe museum or uh, aquarium. So those are the kind of things that we do. So we're in a u- unique position, I think, um, with our resources and the people we know to, to really get this project done. Uh, so if, you were, if you're currently involved with like the theme parks, and you obviously have a some sort of per- personal connection to Walt Disney. Is it safe to say like you grew up going to the Disney parks? Well, yeah, of course. I grew up here in Sherman Oaks, so I was at Disneyland uh, all the time growing up. But I think what really hit home was, um, you know, we moved our office, which had been in Hollywood for many years, and we moved it to Silver Lake, which is where we live. Um, and... And it was right around the time, uh, you know, we we had had a kid. And so we started going to all of these local areas or local neighborhoods in the area here. And all of a sudden, all this history about Walt Disney started to surface and was right in our face of like, you know, we went to the, uh, the train, the Griffith Park train, the um, carousel where Walt came up with the idea of, of making Disneyland. And even our local grocery store turned out to be the very site that that Snow White was made. So all of this started to coalesce in our lives. And it was just so strange of how it all came together. And we just felt very inspired by it. That's so cool. So the grocery store you still currently go to is where? Yep. It's the Gelson Gelson store on Hyperion, which used to be Hyperion Studios. Ah. There's a picture that's still up in the grocery store, and every time we go there, we look at it. In fact, one time, this one gentleman, I saw him looking at it, and I went up to him, and I said, isn't that amazing that this used to be Walt Disney Studios? And he said, oh, it's incredible. And now he and his group of people, he uh, he has an institute in Florida, and they're all coming for a tour in a couple weeks. But it was just so coincidental that we met there at the store. Oh, how cool. They're coming for the a tour of the grocery store? No, I'm just, kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Of the of the birthplace. Of course, yeah. Yeah. So we do um and we've done uh, some tours of the Hollywood sites. So now that we know where they all are and we've gotten really deep deeply involved in in the history of Walt Disney, um you know, we found just locally right around the corners where the original Disney Brothers studio is located, uh where his uncle had lived and where Walt first moved to when he came to Los Angeles. His lyric house where he lived right next to his brother Roy is literally within walking distance of where we are right now where we're talking to you from. And um so there's just so much history Walt Disney history here that hasn't been preserved um you know his uh his his walking way house has been preserved very well uh but then his his other home in Homely Hills is that where it was yeah with the uh with the with the railroad it, that is gone the Carrollwood home so you know we've lost a lot of the important landmarks for Walt Disney, and so this is one the birthplace that we thought because both Roy Walt and his sister Ruth uh, were born in the home, and his father had built it, and his mother designed it. That it was very important to keep. 
Absolutely. So when you um, when you went to Chicago, you said the home was in bad repair. It was converted into a, an apartment complex. Is that correct? Yeah, it was a two flat. So there was a tenant upstairs and a tenant downstairs. Okay. Then did you have any difficulties acquiring the home? Was it for sale or did you just walk up and say, we'd like to buy this place? Can y'all get out or how'd that work well, out? It wasn't for sale at the time, but the owner at the time had had it for about 10 years and he knew it was Walt Disney's birthplace and he wanted to do something. He just didn't, he didn't know how. And, um, you know, he thought about a, a children's art center and something else, but he really is a landlord in the neighborhood and, and didn't know how to take that next step. So when we contacted him, he was, he was very happy that someone was going to do something about it. So he was excited and, um, and it went pretty smoothly, actually, that first, that first step. Um, we had a lot of work to do. We had, you know, we, we hired someone from the Chicago History Museum who came on board to, to do the Provence on the, on the property and confirm that it was, in fact, Walt Disney's birthplace. We worked with the city historian of Chicago, Tim Samuelson, who was very excited that it was going to be saved. He, he in fact, was interested at one time of purchasing it because they wanted, you know, Chicago is very... Um, very supportive of saving uh, these buildings, and so he was he was very much on board. Oh, that's fantastic! Because my first question was going to be, what what obstacles did you have to overcome in getting this project off the ground? But it's good to hear that it went so smoothly. Yeah, well, most of it. I mean, the 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 we did have the people that we had to relocate, and of course, we wanted to do that in a way that was respectful of of them. We couldn't just put people out on the street. We needed to. Mm-hmm. Um, be very respectful of the neighbors in the neighborhood um, and let them all know what we're doing. And um, it's been an amazing transformation. Um, Everybody, I mean, just the knowledge of uh, that the kids have now uh, that Walt Disney and Roy Disney were from their neighborhood has made a big impact to that community and to their lives. Um, it's a working class neighborhood, just like it was when, when Walt lived there. I mean, now they have all these great modern amenities and televisions and video games and all this other stuff that they had that Walt didn't have electricity and things. But, um, now they have the, the knowledge that, uh, someone from their neighborhood, uh, created, uh, the largest entertainment corporation in the world and uh, most of them have probably experienced a, you know, maybe a Disney movie, a Disney uh, television show, I'm sure, or um, a Disney park uh, has touched their lives. So um, with that knowledge, I think it makes a, a, a real huge impact. And uh, this year we were able to convince the city that it was important enough to um, give a uh, rename the street and make it an honorary street called Disney Family Avenue. And so they did that. Yeah, and it's the longest honorary street in the city of Chicago. Oh, wow. That's awesome. I love that. Now, as you were doing this project, because this has been going on for a few years, when did you you start it? Am I correct in that? It's been a kind of a process? Yeah, we um, we acquired the house in June of 2013, and we literally didn't do anything for a couple months because we kind of couldn't believe it. So we had to <laughs> figure out kind of what our what our next steps were. Um, but 
you know, the very, very first thing that we did was what we do with all of our projects. In, addis- in addition to the research and understanding the story, which is a huge inspiration on, on this project, but we created a concept, a piece of concept art. And that art was an image for us to look at to see what, you know, what this was going to be. And that's something that we shared with the community too. And I really believe that it wasn't until last year uh, when we had Dick Van Dyke show up at the house for our very first um, Creativity Days, which was a neighborhood event where all of the kids and, and the neighbors could come and celebrate the home and, and where we had arts and crafts and we did a special ceremony of, um, of honoring a special creativity tree where kids got to write their dreams down on a, on a rock and then we planted it outside. And, um, and Dick Van Dyke was there and he sang, let's go fly a kite outside wow. of the home. And we had over a thousand people show up and it was a really, really special day. And I, I just heard a lot of the neighbors come up and, and say, you know, we, we didn't really believe it at first, but now we're looking at it. And it's pretty incredible because you had the piece of key art right in front of the home. And that home looked exactly like the key, the the concept art that we made three years mm. prior. So, that's awesome. That I, if I was a neighbor and Dick Van Dyke showed up, I would just lose it. I'd take my money, whatever you got to do, just <laughs> take it all. <laughs> um, so, what is the vision of what the the final product is going to be? As a visitor coming to the Walt Disney uh, birthplace home, what what will I expect to see there? Yeah, well, you know, it's it, we do things in phases in our industry, so everything's done in a phase, whether it's a concept phase or you you get into kind of, uh, you know, we did an extra exterior um, uh, restoration phase, which included all of the investigating of what the original colors would look like, what the paint was, because obviously we had no uh, photographic, very little... Um, written or recorded information about the house. Um, but we did know that Walt and, and Roy shared a room. And so what we what we had to do is really take everything off the house first that, that didn't belong, that wasn't there in 19 or in 1893 or 1905 when they left. So all of that had to go away. Um, we did leave uh, the additions onto the back, but we put a clear delineation so everybody knows where the back of the original house was, and we're going to put a wall back there. But we needed to find out what the layout of the house was. Um, so that was a really important uh, step for us, and that happened right around the same time we had the exterior finish. So we wanted the curb appeal and the neighbors to get, you know, this great looking house on the outside. But really on the inside, it was, you know, uh, just absolutely kind of torn down to the to the studs and uh, to the original plaster. And now we're building it back up. So we had to uh, go in, put all the new electrical, all of the... Uh, you know, we were putting soundscapes throughout the house, so we had to wire it up for, for sound, um, insulation, you know, all, everything that you need in a modern house, and um, new uh, uh, air conditioning, all of that had to be put in. So at this point, this phase ends, what we call the restoration phase, it will end in late October, all the walls, floors, hardware, so when you walk in the home, 
it will be an empty home, but it will be exactly how um, Walt would have remembered it. So the day that Walt and his family moved out is what the home will look like uh, at the end of this October. So that's kind of what the this phase is. The next phase is the show development phase where we start to build out the experience that's going to happen inside the house. So again, I mentioned the soundscapes and then we're going to have a lot of video projection gags. We're going to do smells inside the house. You'll really feel and uh, know what it's like to live back uh, in at the turn of the century. Um, and you know, there, there are going to be little magic moments all over the house uh, that people will be able to discover on their own. We're not going to put the velvet ropes up and hide you, you know, the rooms and put really expensive antique furniture in, in these rooms. We'll let you go into the rooms and explore, go into the closets and the trunks and all of that other stuff and find out what, uh, what we learn along the way about the Disney family. Smells that word stopped me a little bit so like cigarettes and chili (laughs) (laughs) well that's it's funny that you say that you were at the uh the uh restored the newly restored walt disney offices over at the uh over at the the lot and just beautiful and i i asked becky i said you know you could have put the smells back in that would have been interesting Spam uh, and the the Scotch mist. Yeah, the Scotch mist <laughs> and the cigarettes. Yeah. Now you're talking about my birthplace home with that smell. <laughs> <enough. laughs> so, um, but yeah, it's not only going to have you know it will have that, but you're gonna you'll see shadows of the kids and the family moving around the house. You will see. Um, uh, maybe some things in the ceiling where uh, maybe Welch's dreams will come to life uh, in the ceilings and projected images and we'll, we'll bring all of the magic that we put into other theme park attractions into uh, this house. So it's going to be much more alive than any creaky old home museum you've ever been into. Oh wow, I can't wait. Uh, so you've you've obviously done a lot of research in planning for this project. Is there um, something you learn that sticks out to you as especially fascinating or kind of revolutionary? Well, I think uh, the big thing that that I learned and that got me really excited and inspired about this project was really the partnership of Walt's mother and father, which is not widely known, but but. Back in the day, it was very rare that, you know, women were considered of equal partnership. And then we came to find out that Flora, Flora's name was on the deed of the land that they bought. And, um, and we have the, we have the whole transcript from the, um, from the government and kind of everything that, you know, with all the different lands on it, all the different parcels. And theirs is the only one that says Elias Disney and Flora. And I thought that was pretty remarkable. And I think that when you look at Walt's life and you kind of trace the parents and kind of and where they came from, they came, they got married in Florida and they traveled to Chicago and, and just all of the things that the parents did came out through Walt and Roy 
mm-hmm. in, in what they created. And it's very clear now to see how these boys kind of became these men that they became. Yeah, it's, it's strange, but I think, yeah, what Dina mentioned also, I kind of learned on our journey, which is, um, you know, the, the failure of his father and all these businesses that he tried. So he was a, you know, an orange grove, you know, ran an orange grove, had a, had a, uh, farm. He had a newspaper. He was a fiddler. He was, uh, worked on a railroad. So he did all these jobs, gold rush when he was a kid, uh, did all these things, but never, you know, he was always chasing kind of to strike it rich. Um, but there was a tenacity that I think he ingrained in an ethic that he uh, imbued into these two kids that, um, and, and that idea of partnership, family, strong family, that, that they needed each other to make it. It couldn't be Walt on his own. It wouldn't have been Roy on his own. Um, even though we consider Walt Disney, you know, this genius in Pisario, but he, he could not have done what they did as a team on his own. So that that was something that was very powerful, I think, that came out. And then also, you know, if you follow Walt's steps around even post um, Chicago and Chicago, oh, one more thing, like the Ozell stock certificates were all in both yeah. Flora and Analyze's names. Um, but if you follow like the whole Walt journey, you'll see that he had a really great memory and um, and he would and he would take all of these memories and he would put them away uh, for uh, you know for an idea that he might have in his future. So uh, if you if you look into um, the train fair and I believe it was like 1952 or something somewhere around there where he and Ward Kimball tra- traveled to Chicago to the train fair, um, that's where they discovered this idea of you know, a train and a New Orleans Square kind of a village, uh, Indian village kind of frontier land. They had a Tomorrowland and they, they had four distinct themes at the at the train fair. They had this overall map and then he went up to uh, the Ford. Um, what was that? Uh, the Ford the little town. Oh, Deerf- Deerfield. Green- the Greenfield Village. Yeah. Yeah. That they toured there and there, they had a a train that circumvented the property that was on a berm and they had a main street. So the, you know, this idea that, uh, that it was all based on Marceline. I mean, I think that's good mythology. It's great storytelling. It's great storytelling on Walt's part, but you can see, you know, right when he was coming up with the idea of Disneyland, he went out on a tour and he was, he was collecting, uh, these ideas that he ultimately put together, but there's some very specific places that he found these ideas from. Yeah. After it's all said and done and visitors are able to experience this, what do you hope they take away from their time in this birthplace? Well, the the other side of this and you know that was a big question that we asked ourselves at the beginning it's like what is this going to be do we want to just you know put up a sign and have people come by and walk through and not touch anything and you know how what kind of take a picture take a (laughs) selfie (laughs) and what kind of experience is it going to be and 
you know, we thought long and hard about this. And, and the thing that it is, it's, it's Walt Disney's birthplace and it's Roy Disney's birthplace. They both were born inside this home. Walt lived there till he was almost five and Roy lived there till he was almost 12 or 13. And so how do we, how do we make this about that? You know, it's, it's the early childhood development and with all that we know about, about that subject now that people are really formed between those early ages of zero to five. That's when everything gets imprinted. And so we decided that we were going to launch a nonprofit around the center and and call it the Center for Early Childhood Creativity and Innovation, which is really summing up what that spirit in that home was. And so what we want to try and do is, is give back to the community in that way and really help families to nurture talent and nurture creativity and and innovative spirit and um and see where that goes yeah that's that's exactly it and um you know that's it, it is a great question and i think some specific you know some specifics that we were thinking you know to have people not only understand what it was like to live uh, at the turn of the century because it was such an important time in our history. Um, you know, he they started out living there with gas uh, light, and then while they lived there, they transitioned to electric light. So that kind of um, uh, innovation, like Dina just mentioned, I think is really important for people to understand and where the creativity comes from and where inspiration comes from. So the takeaway, I guess, is that we want people to be inspired to do what they want to do and to understand that, you know, here's a, an example of the American dream uh, and, and, and probably one of the best examples of the American dream of a, a family that started with, with really nothing, no money, um, the father was a carpenter, not, not really skilled, um, you know, kind of low skill, but they just worked really, really hard and they worked together and they were a team. Um, and, and I think walking away with that, you know, to be inspired, to, to not think that there are roadblocks and that can get in your way. Yeah, no, that's exactly what I would expect and want a project called the Walt Disney Birthplace to do to inspire kids of all ages to create things. I love that. That's great. For sure. Definitely, particularly because, uh, as you mentioned, Walt Disney's father, on the surface, it looks like much of his life was defined by failure. But had those failures not come, I don't think we would have the Walt Disney that we have today. So it's, yeah. it's, it's a good perspective to have, absolutely. And it's also very interesting talking about what what year did you say they moved into the house? 1890 something? 1893. There you go, yeah. It's just so funny to me cuz um I don't know, we just we just feel this connection to Walt and it feels like it wasn't that long ago when he lived and then now when when we're talking about the 1800s, it's just like it really puts things into perspective for me. Well, he was born in 1901, but if you can imagine that time you know, just as cars were coming onto the scene, just as the electric light was introduced, um, 
it was a very, very exciting time uh, for for the nation. Trains were, you know, coming into the the city was growing. Um, technology like uh, the telephone was being adopted and photographs. I mean, we see that there there are no photographs of his siblings because there were no portable cameras. And it wasn't until Walt and Ruth, uh, we have one great photo of he and Ruth on the front step of the house, and that's only because portable cameras were affordable. Uh, and, yeah. And, and here's another interesting tidbit. Um, we found this hole under the stairs. It was like a little room, and we couldn't figure out what it was. And, we, and our architect, who uh, Charlie Pipel, who's the head of the preservation department at the art institute there in chicago and he brought his students in and everybody's trying to figure out what this is and they finally figure out figure it out it's a bathroom it was one of the first bathrooms on the block wow and they put it into their home and we know that that flora was the architect of the home and designed it and i thought wow how efficient she was putting it <laughs> under under the staircase because <laughs> It would fit perfectly and not take up too much room in the house. If anyone's ever done an overnight on a train or been in a small cabin in a on a on a boat, this is how big this bathroom is. <laughs> I mean, you got to kind of dock, and it's underneath the stairs. It is. It's really really small. It's very. And being small. being one of the first on the block, I imagine. Probably the neighbors came over to check it out, so it's probably used a lot. <laughs> Very popular. Yeah. In fact, potpourri was discovered around the yeah, same time. <laughs> <laughs> probably. So. We'll probably eliminate that part of the smell of the. <laughs> <laughs> no, I want this to be authentic. Okay. <laughs> All right, you got it. Apple pie in the front and so <laughs> under the stairs. Yeah, yeah. Just curious, have you two been able to visit the Walt Disney Family Museum in San Francisco? Oh yeah. Yeah. One of the best museums I've ever been to. It's really, really well done. Oh well good, then I'm sure you're taking at least a little bit of inspiration from that. Jeremy and I were able to visit a couple years ago and we just couldn't get over how much we enjoyed it and how detailed it was. Yeah, it's a it's a wonderful uh, a museum, and anyone who's listening who hasn't hasn't gotten a chance to get up there, I would to- totally recommend it. Highly recommend it. I know it's a little off the beaten path if you're in San Francisco, but it's really worth the the trip. It really, is. I'm sure all your listeners would be. That's why they would go to San Francisco. <laughs> Honestly, that's why we went. Yeah. <laughs> we, we went just for that and then kind of built the rest of our time there around visiting yeah. the museum. So, um, did, did Walt ever, or any of the Disney family, did they ever return to this home after 1905, I think is when you said they moved out? I think we had the first. No, well, we know that um, Walt oh, and Roy, yeah, Walt and Roy, did go back there at one point in the fifties. Or maybe it or was s- Roy because he went back to his grade school. Yeah, right? he went back to Nixon for a visit. School. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I think it might have been Roy. But Walt was in Chicago quite a lot yeah, too, so yeah. he he may have that we just don't know about, but. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and then uh, fast forward to um, 2015, 2015, yeah, when the uh, Walt Disney Studios had their shareholders meeting in 
Chicago. And um, we had Roy P. Disney join us for a D23 walkthrough of the home, which was a, a special event. Yeah. Wow. Um, and then that, uh, and then this past Christmas in 2016, we had Joanna Disney Miller come. Oh, wow. So, so Walt's granddaughter took yeah. a visit. Oh, how cool. It's been very special. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And we were, we were able to give them both tours. It was really amazing. Well, and I remember, I believe it was last year when they, when Bob Iger announced that they would, that Disney would be pledging several hundred thousand dollars, if I remember correctly, to your project. Um, what was your reaction to that news? Um, I think I was squeezing Brent's arm really, really hard. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was uh, it was pretty amazing. We were we were stunned and thrilled and um, and very appreciative. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's nice to know that uh, you're doing all of this to honor Walt, and it's nice to know that the you know the company that is under his name supports what you're doing. Yeah. And, and that, um, you know, at, at the time, and it always sounds like a lot of money, $250,000, you, you sit out there and go like, wow, that's, that's a lot. But uh, in a restoration of this uh, level with the, with the caliber of people that we have working on it and the amount of work that needs to get done, it actually goes very, very fast. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we, we do, um, our, we're definitely looking for you know, lots of support to get us through the show portion of this, which is to get all the great exhibits in and and all of the stuff that we're talking about, put that into the house. And, um, you know, we have a, a lot of ways for people to get involved with the project. Yeah. Uh, why don't you go ahead and share some of those ways before we let you go? Because I, I definitely want our listeners to be able to get involved if that's something they want to do. Well, sure. And, you know, we always want to uh, get people invested in the project in, in a fun way and not just, you know, hey, give us your money and then come visit us. But, you know, we're beyond like giving paper stones, which we do. Um, so you can certainly order a paper stone online, which is at the Walt Disney birthplace dot org. Um, come visit us there. But we have um, different items like fence posts or rose bushes that we'll do. Um, we have doors that we sponsor. Um, all of the uh, windows had to be replaced with from modern windows back to the original windows, which were incredibly expensive. I think they were each somewhere in the order of, you know, three thousand to five thousand dollars a piece. Wow. So you wow. can imagine how how quickly that kind of money, like the two hundred and fifty thousand, will will just evaporate. You've got five thousand dollar windows. Um, because they all had to be custom built. Everything has to be customized to fit this home that was very custom um, at the time they built it. So uh, doors, uh, hardware, everything has to be found. Um, so, but we'll, we have a lot of interesting things. And of course we also have, which is another fun way to get involved. If you can't afford to do the bricks or the, or the, or the uh, fence post, you can always go to Rocket Fizz and buy some Ozel soda. And when you buy an Ozel soda, that money also comes to uh, the Walt Disney Birthplace project. So uh, Rocket Fizz, there's a hundred of those around, around the country. And it is a soda that was started by um, uh, Elias Disney and some other entrepreneurs at the time. 
and he ran operations at the factory and Walt worked at the factory cleaning the bottles and we relaunched that brand and we have that's six flavors now, I think. Mm-hmm. And and this is a good one. So our, our, our last two, we do, we have a dream sickle, like an orange dream sickle, which is amazing. It tastes exactly like you would imagine an orange dream sickle soda tasting. And then we have the best grape soda you will ever have. And it's called <laughs> it's called Grape Moments. No. Oh, yes. <laughs> I love that. It's got a little robotic picture of a little robotic Abraham Lincoln down at the bottom, which is <laughs> in purple. Can I buy these in bulk? Yeah. <laughs> yes, you can. Um, so, yeah, we have a pineapple whip soda, oh, yeah. which is kind of like a Dole Whip uh, in, in a soda form. Uh, and, and then the classics, the root beer and the vanilla, and we have a root beer float even. So And, and cherry jubilee. Ooh, cherry jubilee, which is another excellent uh, soda. So yeah, we have a lot of really good sodas, and we'd encourage everyone to go out to, uh, to Rocket Fizz and request Ozell soda if they don't have it, but they should keep them stocked and cold in the refrigerator. That's perfect. I love a good grape soda and a moon pie, so that's perfect. Yeah. Right here. <laughs> All it's missing is uh, turkey leg flavor, so we'll look forward <laughs> to that one. Now that's a good one. <laughs> now, I know these things never always, you know, there's always uh, bumps in the road and never work out exactly how you plan, but when do you project the project to be completed, at least in the form of, or the phases to have your first visitors? Um, well, you know, we've already had lots of visitors. Um, we, we do special engagements and special openings uh, um, as we've been doing the restoration. We will probably be announcing another special engagement at the home at the end of this phase of restoration. And we're not prepared to say exactly when that's going to happen, but I would imagine that it's going to happen uh, probably... Maybe it's going to be the December 5th is going to be the big date. I mean, we'll probably be definitely, yeah. which is Walt's birthday. So we'll probably be doing a, a something in and around the house uh, for Walt's birthday. So look for that. And then, um, you know, we'll be doing kind of some private events there for a while as we're raising the rest of the money to get a completion. I would just say that we would love nothing more than to have this open as soon as possible. <laughs> Absolutely. That, that's probably the best uh, answer right there. As soon as possible. As soon as we can. Uh, if our listeners wanted to connect with you guys online or on social media, where can they find you? Yeah, just look for the WaltDisneyBirthplace.org, which is the, the website, and uh, Walt Disney Birthplace on Twitter. We're, we're there. We're active. Um, we have a Facebook page also, Walt Disney Birthplace Facebook page. So you can find us through that, Instagram, and all the other fun things. So we usually put up, uh, you know, interesting things about Chicago, Disney history, um, and whatever activities are going on at the house and announcements that, that we have for events at the house. So if you just check back there or follow us on Twitter, you'll be in the know on all of those events. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for joining us. I think this is a great project. I think you're doing God's work, preserving the memory of the man who brought us the magic. And I appreciate that. I can't wait to visit the home myself. Well, thank you. You're invited anytime.
What makes a great movie poster? Well, you could argue that it's got to be catching to the eye, appealing visually. Maybe the stars of the movie plastered right there largely and prominently to draw you in. I mean, that's what makes uh, Matt see every Dwayne Johnson movie is his picture right there on the poster. But also, Mm -hmm. I think the sign of a good movie poster is a good tagline. Some of the most classic taglines that we remember, we still quote to this day 40 years later. I mean, just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water. Of course, we all remember that's from Alien 2. So those movies are... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Those taglines are, are, are timeless. But what if we took taglines from films that were not Disney and applied them to Disney films? This is Disney Taglines. So the first movie that we're going to look at. Remember The Fly? Remember that movie back in, what was that, the 80s? Jeff Goldblum, before he was bare-chested in Jurassic Park. Uh, he uh, was in the movie The Fly. The tagline for that movie, Be Afraid. Be very afraid. So what Disney film do you think that should be attached to? Toy Story 4. Because I'm very afraid. <laughs> honestly. <laughs> that is true. It's like, just leave that legacy alone. Yeah. It ended. It's fine. No, that's good. In uh, the way of sequels, Frozen 2. Yeah. Same story. <laughs> Well, mine, I went a different route because to me, this movie has all the makings of a great horror film if it was just presented from a different angle. And so for me, it's be afraid, be very afraid. Peter Pan. What? (laughs) From whose perspective? He's creeping in your window. He steals your children. Snatching your people up. I mean, your kids. From the, perspective, from the perspective of the parents, that's a creepy movie. I mean, this random flying child ghost thing. I mean, maybe he's not a ghost, okay. But this random flying child shows up and steals your children away to a land filled with pirates. Okay. All right, tough crowd this evening. All right, uh, next one from the movie Bonnie and Clyde. They're young, they're in love, and they kill people. Darby O'Gill and the Little People. (laughs) I would watch that. Wow. They made that movie in the 80s. It was called Leprechaun. It was (laughs) was Jennifer Aniston's first film. Um, Mine's Beauty and the Beast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they did. They turned people into objects. We're just going to pretend like the Gaston thing never happened, right? Oh, yeah. Happily ever after, he just fell off of our roof while we were fighting. (laughs) He's fine. Uh, Mine is uh, a part of the film I don't think we saw, and that's Monsters University. (laughs) What? (laughs) (laughs) They're young, they're in love, and they kill people. We'll just leave it there. All right, the next movie. This movie is a classic, in my opinion. I love this film. I watch it at least once a year. I'm a sucker for, like, 90s dumb comedies. In my opinion, My Fellow Americans, Tommy Boy, The Hot Chick, and this film, Wayne's World, are some of the best movies ever made. Oh, my. And they never get old to me. I watch them all the time. So, Wayne's World, the tagline, you'll laugh, you'll cry, You'll hurl. 
got to be Descendants 2. <laughs> You'll laugh at yourself because you can't believe your life has gotten to the moment that you were watching this film. Mm-hmm. You'll cry when the reality sets in and you'll hurl because when the first song starts <laughs> mine is fantasia oh no why yeah about about an hour in you realize this is all it is and it makes you want to throw up <laughs> oh, so so that's what this is going to be okay cool yeah <laughs> Uh, mine comes from a film that actually was on, it was on TV the other day and I was watching it and I love this film and it does make me laugh and it does make me cry. Uh, but then I realized how disgusting it really is if it was reality. And that is Ratatouille. All Ah. these nasty mice in the kitchen. Can you imagine like going into a restaurant and there's rats everywhere? Like that's disgusting. Um, and they do kind of touch on that in the film, but just it made me really think about it. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's so charming. I want a meal cooked by a rat. And then I was like, no, wait, no, I don't. Mm-hmm. I'm hurling right now. Derek, this is your favorite film, Sicko. I know you watch it <laughs> on the regular. My favorite. I thought you misspelled Psycho at first. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> anyways, uh, their tagline from the cinema classic Sicko. This might hurt a little. <laughs> <laughs> this might hurt a little. Song of the South. Oh. oh. <laughs> oh. If, if you're touchy, this might hurt a little bit. Only for modern audiences. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Hunchback of Notre Dame. It's practically what they just should have put on the trailer. Uh, as they prepped themselves for how this was going to affect Disney animation for years to come. Uh, oh, no, do not. Uh, just because not- you like it, let's face up. Let's just, let's just. I know you like it. Y'all like it, and that's fine. No, I do. I do not love this movie by any means. Okay, it was received terribly. So, I just- think this film is stunning. I think it is beautifully animated. The story oh, for ninety-five percent of America, it it hurts. Well, 95% of America thinks that Trump is a good president, so I'm fine being in the minority on this one. 50, 50%. I was like, what poll are you reading? I'm good with numbers. Uh, for me, this might hurt a little. Bambi. Oh, yeah. And it has double meaning because it'll hurt your spirit, but it'll also hurt because the deer gets shot. Spoiler. Yeah. And. Can I be honest? I watched, I started this on the plane ride down to Florida and I just got really bored and I had to stop it. And I, I mean, I've seen it before, but I thought like as an adult, I would have like such a good appreciation for it. And I got 45 minutes into it and the mom still hasn't died. And I'm like, <laughs> nothing's happening in this movie. It's beautiful. Like the animation is still so good. But I'm like, there's really just not a plot. It's just like a coming of age story. You know? Yeah, it's it's like well, it's like that movie you liked that I hated, uh, Boyhood. It's Boyhood. It's Boyhood with deer. <laughs> That's yeah, what it is. Kinda. It's like showing. I get it. Like it's showing how an animal would view the world if the animal's never seen the world before. So he's yeah. learning things. But I'm just like, something needs to happen, yo. Kill the mom already. <laughs> <laughs> well, even when the mom dies, which again is a very stunning piece of, of film, and I think Walt. It, it, the story goes that Walt 
said, we're not going to show any of the gore or the blood or anything. It'll be more powerful if you don't. And, it, and it's true. Um, but the problem is it has that 1940s-esque uh, plot point or, or production point where they're fine with complete silence on the screen. Mm-hmm. Like nobody's uncomfortable with that. And as a modern audience, we find that very uncomfortable because it's almost like dead air on the radio. Like you're just like, something should be happening. Something should be said. Background music should be playing right now. But instead, fine with just Bambi silent on the screen. And and so I think that's that's part of it as well. We're just not used to that as modern audiences. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, the next one from the movie Sid and Nancy. Love kills. Up. No, cancer kills. <laughs> we don't know that. Seems just old. That's true. Finding Nemo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously, it's the catapult for the whole movie. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Uh, mine was The Little Mermaid. <laughs> Love kills because uh, they, they killed Ursula. Why? Just because she was going <laughs> to marry the prince? That's wrong. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Ursula is not the hero in that movie. True, but sometimes sometimes life doesn't work out the way we think we should. And sometimes we, we don't get to marry. Yeah. So just because she got the man and Ariel was jealous doesn't mean that she deserves to die. Mm. Rude. <laughs> Rude. Number six. Uh, from Gone with the Wind. A true cinema classic. The greatest romance... Of all time. The Mighty Ducks. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, can, I can back that. It's my greatest romance of all time. Love that movie. Mm. Toy Story. Oh, a, a boy and his toys. The greatest love story of all time. <laughs> I was thinking about like Woody and Buzz. But <laughs> <That's> uh, <laughs> <laughs> the greatest romance of all time. They have said Toy Story 4 is a romantic comedy. What if it's not Woody and Bo Peep like everyone expects? Mm. I bet you it's Ken and himself. (laughs) (laughs) I would watch that. Uh, For me, the greatest love story of all time, Mars Needs Moms. Oh, of course. (laughs) That's what I always think of with romantic movies. No more debate. Did you all ever watch that, by the way? No. No. I actually watched it one night. I was babysitting. This is when I still lived in Florida. And um, we played with Legos and we watched Mars Needs Moms. And I got to say, I didn't hate it. I didn't totally pay attention to it, but I didn't hate it. Wow. That's a rousing recommendation. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, me. Got to check it out. In honor of the great movie ride in that classic line, I see dead people, the sixth sense. Not every gift is a blessing. Which I didn't realize this is the uh, the tagline. I thought I see dead people would be the tagline. <laughs> yeah, wait. Back. What does that mean? Well, because the gift, the boy had the gift of seeing dead people. Oh, I see, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hello. <laughs> I, well, when I first, when you first said that, I'm like, I think we mix these up. That can't be right. <laughs> no, not every gift is a blessing. Yeah, the Star Wars holiday special. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you! How dare you? <laughs> Anytime that we get more B. Arthur on screen and in our lives, it's a blessing. Uh, agreed. 
Um, Pinocchio. <laughs> I always have to think so hard about you. <laughs> Just an annoying child. Here, here's it. Congratulations. Here's a freaky wooden annoying <laughs> child. Okay, you asked for it. That's actually pretty good. And you know, probably when Geppetto was sitting in the belly of that whale, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Die, he was probably like, "Man, if I had just thrown that thing in the fireplace when I had the chance, <laughs> stabbed it with a silver stake or whatever you're supposed to do with demonically animated objects." I mean, you know, and again, I like to think of these films sometimes in real world real world perspective can you imagine being like geppetto's neighbor and all of a sudden he's like i have a son (laughs) (laughs) that's weird and then he's made of wood oh Uh, (laughs) crazy old maurice yeah uh well mine was um dumbo because i think that having that gift of flying to wake up one day in a tree surrounded by racist crows would not be (laughs) The crows aren't racist. (laughs) That's that's, that's true, yeah. I rephrase, let me rephrase. (laughs) Surrounded by racist depictions of crows. (laughs) (laughs) Take your stupid feather back, Timothy. Uh, Mm -hmm. The next one. One flew over the cuckoo's nest. If he's crazy, what does that make you? This is a little on the nose, as we like to say on our show. The absent-minded professor. Aw, that really could work for that. I know. The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. (laughs) Specifically, I'm seeing that one scene where he's in front of his mirror and his head stays stationary while his whole body is turning underneath him. (laughs) If he's crazy. uh... That's true. For me, mine was kind of on the nose, too, but I really couldn't think of anything clever. And it was Lilo and Stitch. Ah, Which yes. really could work, you know? Yeah, definitely. That. Uh, the next one from the movie Rear Window, a Hitchcock film, if I'm not mistaken. That's true. In deadly danger because they saw too much. Okay. This might take a little bit of thinking, but it's a Disney nature film called Earth. And it's true. We're in deadly danger. We've just seen... We've seen too much. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> just... I, we've, we've just... This world. So many. This world right now. I, I know I've, I've, I've referenced Trump already on this show, so to reference it. But that was a very Trump answer. Let me answer yeah. the question by just repeating the question <laughs> in a different format. No, in deadly danger because they saw too much earth like you think it's going to be about someone and then it's like oh, it's about us mm. see it's meta gotcha uh my answer was this goes off into a part of the movie that's not explored but i think it's 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 possible honey i shrunk the kids oh my gosh yes i almost put that <laughs> because you know that they're they're seeing like nose hairs yeah, well, yeah, that too. I, I, but you know, like, all of us do things in private sometimes that we would never do if we knew another person was around. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Can you imagine if you found out your kids were shrunk and in the same room with you when you were, like, in the bathroom or, you know, maybe enjoying a private moment with your spouse or 
you know, whatever. And then I'd be like, hey, mom and dad, we've been shrunk the last week and we were crawling all over the carpet. Oh, were, were you in the living room on uh, Tuesday night? <laughs> Where were you then? Oh, so my I, word. I, Again, this is just part of the, the plot that was not explored that I think has potential at Disney's XL Park. Mm. Bed knobs and broomsticks. <laughs> what? I mean, it's like the the whole like first fifteen minutes of the movie when they see her flying at night and they think, "Oh crap, she's a witch." And she, well, I guess she doesn't know that they saw her. But once they reveal it, what if that was like, you know, kids trapped by a witch and she's gonna eat them like Hansel and Gretel? Oh. Well, that too, and maybe they're in deadly danger because they saw like all the the magical stuff, and so their eyes had been opened to reality. So they're, they're bound to her forever. Yeah. Maybe she's Again. not a wicked witch. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that was Disney taglines. <laughs> 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 Labor Day is just around the corner, and it's a time where we take a break from work, we celebrate all the hard hard work we've done, we pat ourselves on the back, and we just take it easy to celebrate all the labor we've done. And so on this week's show, we're going to honor Labor Day by talking about ways we like to take it easy when we're at Walt Disney World. It's hot. There are people everywhere. You're elbow to elbow with strangers, sweaty strangers. Sometimes your feet need a break. Your mind needs a break. And you just want to take it easy. So we're going to count down our top five favorite ways to take it easy, to relax, to take a break, to just enjoy yourself at Walt Disney World completely free of stress. My number five, before anyone gets to it, is the Enchanted Tiki Room. And I know. (laughs) This is just the quintessential, along with other attractions that are are similar. So we can get to those, I'm sure. Um, This is just that quintessential take a break, sit down for a minute, enjoy the AC and a nice show in between the hustle and bustle of trying to get to the more popular and busy attractions and you you can't really beat it i mean it's got like a you know the pacific islands feel going on waterfalls and um steel guitars and ukuleles and then you go in and hear a nice charming 60s audio animatronic show for 15 minutes uh with birds and tiki gods and uh, wonderful windows that look out onto the ocean and the volcanoes and then you can just dump right out and get a uh, a dull whip and relax even more. So the Tiki Room is uh, on my list at number five for places to sit back and take it easy. Well, I think, too, it needs to be said it's good because, one, it's indoors. So you can get some AC if it's a little hot. You get to sit. It's comfortable seating. It's not just like a stadium seating, you know, hard piece of metal. They're pretty comfortable with backs. To them so if you would like to just uh even if you don't care about the show you can sit in there and just 
in the dark and take a nap, that's an option as well. Uh, and it's also not a an overly crowded attraction either. So you're able to, at least I've been, there's times I don't want to be near anybody. So you're able to find a part of that theater and no one can be around you and you can just take a breather. Mm-hmm. Yep. And even the attraction itself, like the things Matt mentioned, like sitting indoors when you hear it rain, a thunderstorm outside, like that to me is so relaxing. Yep. I'm a little nervous now because I went very vague with my answers. And my number five, Tiki Room would definitely fit, but I just said, like, visit a theater that always has no weight. All the theater options. <laughs> well, not all, not all. But things like Impressions de France, because that waiting room is always pretty empty. You can just stand in the air conditioning and look at the pretty art they have everywhere. And then you can enjoy like a 17 minute film with very comfortable seats. Or like the American Adventure would fall in that category as well. Carousel of Progress. But that when I'm like, it's so hot, I just need to get away from people right now. I love just like sitting in a theater for 15 minutes, 20 minutes, watching a movie. So you're very broad in your list. Is that what you're telling us? That is what I'm telling you. We might run, <laughs> we might run into some problems, but that's okay. This is my list and I'm sticking to it. All right. Sounds good. Uh, well, Matt took my Enchanted Tiki Room, so I'll think of another one. So I'm going to scratch that from my list and go with The People Mover. It is a very good way to relax. I always find rest and rest uh, rest and restoration mm. when i'm riding the people mover it's just a great way of it well it's good anytime but particularly if you are at that time in the magic kingdom when you're tired from the afternoon but you know you got to get amped up again for the night and so around dusk and you just need a few minutes to recharge your batteries. Maybe it's right before dinner or right after dinner. You feel kind of gross. You got that mustiness going on all over your body. This is a good place just to sit. It's enough of a breeze that it kind of dries you out. And uh, long enough of an attraction that you feel you feel kind of good by the time you get off of it. You're like, boy, my, my feet were hurting, but now, now I'm good. And I'm recharged and ready for the rest of the night. Yeah, I agree with that. The People Mover does cool you down. Like, it's one of the rare outside attractions. And I know it goes indoors. But even when you're outside, things like the Jungle Cruise, the Railroad, those are not always guaranteed to cool you down. Because you move slowly or you sit at the the train station for a long time. But the People Mover constantly moves. And that's one of the things I love about it. You just let it take you. You don't have to think. There's not someone talking at you the whole time. You know? Mm. It's also what I say when I trip Molly. <clears throat> Just let it let it take control of you and let it do its thing. Don't have to talk to anybody. <laughs> it's in your Okay, I'm done. I wanna believe you're kidding. <laughs> <laughs> My number four is um something I've only been to like three times in my entire life. Uh but it is one of those places that if I'm stuck at the Magic Kingdom for a whole day and I, I have to make a whole day of it and I really don't want to leave and go somewhere else and come back. I go over to Tom Sawyer Island and there are lots of places where there are kids and people running in paths and running through the caverns and stuff. But there are some wonderfully um, 
relaxing, secluded kind of places over there that are that are wonderful just to kick back and relax for a little while. And one of those is the the little dock. There was a it used to be a restaurant there called Aunt Polly's Ice Cream or something like that. And now there's just vending machines. But there's some rocking chairs like Cracker Barrel style, big old rocking chairs sitting out there with some tables. And I have taken um, one or two good naps there uh, in the heat of the day under the shade along the rivers of America. The parade's going by on the other end of the other side of the river. And um, it's it's one of those places where you're there and you're like, this is this like a real place? Like you feel like it's secret and nobody knows, but lots of people know. They just don't go there. So that's my tip. Number four, Tom Sawyer Island. I really, really loved Tom Sawyer Island. I've still only visited it once, but, and granted it was February, so it wasn't hot, but the whole island gave off a very relaxed, chill vibe. And I think that's one Mm -hmm. of the reasons I loved it. That's a great answer. My number four is something that we've all experienced together. One of them, for instance, is Victoria Falls Lounge. But I think just the lounges in general at the resorts can go overlooked. Uh, But these, almost every, I guess every deluxe resort has one. And some of the moderates have one too. For instance, like River Roost at Port Orleans. But these are places where obviously it's a lounge so you can get an alcoholic beverage if you want. Uh, but they also have like appetizers or coffee or soda or whatever you want to do. But the thing I like about the lounge is you're not going to feel rushed. Like it's usually kind of dim lighting. There's almost always seating available. So you don't have to put your name in and wait. You just kind of grab a seat. No one's going to rush you away from your table. Someone's going to kind of casually come by every once in a while to see if you're okay. See if you need anything. And I know the three of us have just been able to enjoy just like some conversations in a quiet area, kids aren't there, loud parties usually aren't there. It is just such a chill atmosphere. And when I really just need to get away from the crowds, that's one of the best places to do it. Yep. This concept was on my list, so I'm piggyback off of what you say. Which lounge did you say specifically? Well, Victoria Falls is the one that the three of us have been to. Um, There's also the one right by Ohana Tambu Lounge, I think. Yeah. Which is a little more chaotic because it's basically the lobby. So you kind of have to pick and choose. I hesitate saying Victoria Falls Lounge. That's what is on my list specifically. Because I don't want the millions of listeners that are listening right now to just crowd my spot. But I love Victoria Falls, Falls Lounge. To me, it's off the beaten path. Like, you you really don't know it's there unless you know it's there. Because yeah. there's just a little sign by the doorway and uh you walk in not a lot of seating um but enough that you're comfortable it's quiet you're up above um boma so you can order food there you know from boma um that's on the menu as well as uh derek said there's there's beverages available and it's just so peaceful and one of the things that when i lived in florida and when i moved back to florida i plan to do hopefully uh that matt and jessica and i always seem to do was after a day in the park, we always found ourselves going back to the lounge there just to relax. And it was just a, the perfect way to end the day, even if it was already 10, 11 o'clock at night. And we're like I said, we're in that gross like we've been in the park all day. So we're nasty. But just to go there and sit for half hour, 45 minutes to an hour before you go home for the night. It's the perfect way to decompress. 
Oh, that's such a good point. Yeah, like when you when you're so tired of being kind of being in the park and like oh so many people, but you're not quite ready to end the day. Like mm-hmm. the lounge is that perfect transition. It really is, and because I lived in Miami at the time, so for me, a lot of times when I left the park, it meant a three-hour drive back to Miami uh, in the middle of the night, and it's hard to go from theme park level energy to sitting in the car. You <laughs> crash really hard doing that. Transitioning at the lounge, it kind of gave me a second wind, and it was a way, like I said, to decompress, to recharge, and then I'd be good to go for the rest of the night. I miss that lounge. Gosh, I miss that lounge. <laughs> we will reunite there so soon. Mm. We'll always have Victoria Falls Lounge. <laughs> <laughs> um, my number three is uh, encompassed in Derek's all Disney theaters um, item and it is the American Adventure and like the attraction or not which it is a wonderful attraction um, but if you've done it and you've given your due respect and honors to America and and you can go back and and just chill out for about you got about 30 minutes in there in a huge dark cool theater uh and it's halfway on World Showcase. So if you were doing World Showcase in the day, it can get kind of hot. And it's a long walk. So that's a good middle of the day kind of break. Uh, just to sit and enjoy a good show for 30 minutes. Or take a nap for 30 minutes as, as Derek does. Uh, okay. Was it you or Jessica that said like they just they don't remember that they've ever actually watched the whole thing? It wasn't me. I fell asleep one time. It was the very first time. It's probably Jessica. I think Jessica's like, I've never seen the whole thing because she and, sleeps. And look at the mess our country's in now. Yeah. <laughs> people don't appreciate history. Because they don't appreciate Golden Dream. No. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's a nice big theater. There's always lots of room. If you wanted just to back up to the back of the theater and be around nobody and prop your feet up, you probably could uh, on a number of occasions. Oh my word, that's so funny that you say that. When we did Impressions to France this week, the only instructions from the front were no flash photography and no smoking, which I'm like, is that a problem? And please keep your feet on the floor. Uh, we were like, they must have a problem with that. They probably do. People propping their feet up and going to sleep. And American Adventure has the best pre-show in World Showcase. Voices yeah. of Liberty. Mm. Uh, My number three is another area outside the parks. And this is going to sound strange because you're not just sitting. You can. I'm talking about the boardwalk area. The more I go there, the more I enjoy it. And I think part of it has to do with like what time of day you go. Like I think when we went, you know, we talked about maybe going to Jelly Rolls and they were like, ah, there's a cover charge. And then we went to that dance hall mess and we were like, oh, this feels like a high school dance. (laughs) I don't think we stayed in there longer than a minute. But when you're like kind of done for the day, but you're not done for the day, kind of the same thing with the lounges, like the parks are closed or you're just ready to leave a park, but you still kind of want to hang out a little bit. The boardwalk is so chill. It's so pretty. You can get some ice cream at Ample Hills. You can kind of do a walk around tour of those beautiful resorts that are right there. The Beach Club and the Yacht Club and the Boardwalk. Just check out the quiet lobbies. Like it's it's a really underrated area in Walt Disney World that I've really come to love a lot. And not just because Ample Hills is delicious. 
And they don't care. They'll let you sit out at those tables and those chairs all night if you want to. They're not going to kick you out. This is, yeah, that's true. Get some nice reflections of the popcorn lights on the water. It's neat. Yeah. Jessica and I walked uh, the first time. Well, no, I think we went. Yeah, that one time. After that, Jessica and I when we left Epcot, we went back through that back entrance and walked over to the boardwalk at like nine thirty, ten o'clock one time and got ice cream and coffee and just kind of sat there. It was actually kind of cool that night, as I recall. It was weird and it was kind of foggy and they're playing that um, kind of 1920s jazzy kind of music. Mm-hmm. It's a nice place. Uh, my number three is a place that I like to go in the Magic Kingdom. And I've mentioned this on this show before, but I, again, millions of people are going to be flooding there now. I've given away all my secrets. Probably on watch looking for me, you know, and want to snap <laughs> a picture or something. Yeah, but, of course. You got it. Uh, it's my life. I chose it. It's fine. Um, it is the second floor of Columbia Harbor House. Mm. I love going up there. Even if you don't want to eat at Columbia Harbor House, which is good food. But even if you don't want to eat in there, you can still go up and just go upstairs. Now, during the lunchtime hours, it's probably going to have a lot of people up there because this restaurant is popular. But if you go up there mid-afternoon or in the evening time, chances are you might even have the whole place to yourself. And it's just quiet. You can go over on the little skyway, skywalkway that's over um, the, the, the path by the Haunted Mansion and the Tangled Restrooms. And people watch if you enjoy that sort of thing. But I'm just amazed at how exclusive and how quiet this area is. And you're right in the middle of the Magic Kingdom. Plus, it has that, like, we're all about theming and music on the show, as you all are aware, I'm sure. But it has such (laughs) charming, like, kitschy sort of theming to it that I just love it with the little knickknacks on the wall and the wooden tables like I really do get the feeling like I'm in some northeast uh, old timey restaurant kind of a feel it's like the Sarah Plain and Tall restaurant did you ever watch that? oh a long time ago oh come on you're a Glenn Close fan you're failing me I know it has been a while but I could see that but even if you like I said, you don't want to eat at this restaurant, maybe you want to take in your own food. You can just walk in and go up the stairs. No one's going to stop you. Um, just go in there, chill out, relax, get a second wind. I agree. That's, that's a great restaurant, and that's a great floor of that restaurant. Of the two. <laughs> Between the two floors, that's a great one. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> um... I concur with that. Uh, we, we ate dinner there a few weeks ago, and it was a little more crowded than I have seen it before. But we were there, we were there at like 6 o'clock, too. So if you were there at like 7, or sometimes it closes early. Kind of like seasonally, it'll close a little earlier. Yeah, um, and sometimes they do rope off the, the second floor. They had that doing, going on, too. That's that's dis- disheartening. Yeah, but I always am surprised by that, because that's where the only bathroom is in Liberty Square. And I'm like, y'all are just going to keep me from the bathroom? Come on now. <laughs> Sorry. It's, well, it's the, the Tangled restroom <laughs> is there for you. Oh, uh, that's true. It's just right there. That's true. It's the 1770s. Crop. We pee in holes out back. That's Go right. 
That's what the dark line down the middle of the street is for. <laughs> from the from the tourist that crapping around the corner. Yeah. My number two, I'm going to ah. broaden. <laughs> I'm going to broaden. Is um, deluxe hotel lobbies. And the, specifically the ones around the Magic Kingdom because those are the ones that are like super easy to get to. But like you said from Epcot, you can easily go over to Yacht and Beach Club and Boardwalk. Now, I'll make this caveat about those. Those are deluxe resorts, um, but their lobbies aren't quite as grand as, um, say, Grand Floridian, <laughs> uh, Polynesian, Wilderness Lodge. And then probably, you know, one of our favorites is the Animal Kingdom Lodge. And the, the bigness just allows you to kind of disappear uh, amidst all the people. There will be a lot of people here, but typically you can find a, a secluded place to sit where nobody's going to sit next to you because that's just awkward unless, you know, they come from a culture or, or country where that kind of closeness is not awkward and then they might sit next to you. <laughs> but you, if you're snoring, who cares? So, uh, Animal Kingdom Lodge, I'm thinking Animal Kingdom uh, Wilderness and Grand Floridian is kind of my three main ones because they're just so massive. And no matter how many people are in and out of that place, you can always find a place to sit and not be bothered. And it it is loud, but again, because of the expansiveness of the room, it's like white noise. And that's just so soothing. I mean, even if it's people and children and TVs and Whispering Canyon and stuff, you know, there's not a lot of bouncing of sound waves going on. So it's it's relatively quiet feeling, even if it's very busy. And it's cool. And it's nicely themed, and there's nice music, and you just can't go wrong with a place to get away and and chill. Gosh, I'm just like relaxing into my chair right now as you're talking about it. I need to wake up. Uh, for my second pick, I kind of picked two attractions that sort of have something in common. They're great people watching attractions. One of them has already been mentioned: the People Mover. Some great people watching can be done. As a people mover zips through Tomorrowland, you can watch all sorts of mess happening down below. And another one is better in cooler weather because it can get quite warm otherwise. But the Liberty Square Riverboat can actually be quite relaxing. Even though most of the people are standing, it's never full. So you usually have quite a bit of room on either side of you while you're riding the boat. You can lean against the rail. You can get some great pictures of Big Thunder Mountain Railroad as you go by. They have the Native American Village. You can get some shots up. You can have some great people-watching moments all down Liberty Square and Frontierland by Splash Mountain. Um, I think it's an underappreciated attraction. Like, I always appreciated that it was there. I loved watching it go by. But only recently have I really just been able to when I don't need to rush somewhere and I don't really want to be around all the people for just a little bit, I just hop on the riverboat and it is a very pleasant 15 minute journey around the river. Yeah, agreed. I, I'm not a big fan as far as like relaxing. This doesn't relax me. Um, kind of like what you said, because people are standing and usually you have people really close to you. So if you can get the boat when it's kind of empty, then that's that's pretty relaxing. Well, yeah, that's what I mean. Um, that's typically when I ride it, when I'm like, oh, hey, a boat just arrived and there's really not anyone waiting for it. Then I'll hop on. I'll get, you know, five to six feet by myself, you know, spread out my arms and no one's there. 
and I just take pictures. I just kind of enjoy the narration, enjoy the sounds, the sights. Mm. And again, it doesn't necessarily like rest my feet, but it just gives me like a mental break. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's all you need. Sometimes the mental break is enough to to substitute for a physical break. And a breeze. A breeze always helps. A good breeze always helps. But see, the Liberty Square Riverboat does not always give you a breeze, so you do kind of have to be selective when you ride it. Well, that's why I hire a few uh, people to always follow me and just blow on me as we go. Uh, I find that if you go to the top level, you can always get a breeze on the top level. Yeah, but you're also in the sun. Yeah, but if you got a breeze, who cares? Mm, I don't know about that. Florida is not the sun. Florida is the humidity. (laughs) (laughs) That's on a t-shirt somewhere. It is the humidity state. That is what makes it miserable. The sun might be hot, but the misery comes from the humidity. And the breeze alleviates that. Plus, you get wonderful views up there. So, go to the top level. And a little tan as well. Yeah. Little, little, little vitamin D never hurt anybody. My number you're two. You're allergic to it. Mm, <laughs> it's true. Uh, my number two is in the Morocco Pavilion at Epcot, and I don't know if this thing has an official name other than the gallery or whatever. But it's that little hidden museum that is yeah. right there in Morocco that a lot of people don't know exists. No, they know. They just realize it's boring. Ouch. Okay. I don't know um, that they know. The no, doors I, are always closed. It's like the doors can I are go always closed, here? and there's no windows. Like you can't like peek in to see. Oh, we're allowed to go in here. So it almost there's looks no like sign. a. Mm-mm. It almost looks like something like a cast member door kind of a feel. So yeah. a lot of people I think are timid to go and just open it. Uh, but if you did, you can go in there. Usually, no one else is in there, and it has a couple little exhibit things that you can read if you're. You know, enjoy education and mm. expanding your mind. And unlike Derek, I love those exhibit things. And uh, <laughs> such a jerk. <laughs> uh, but the best part is, there's a couple of benches in there. It plays the Moroccan music. It's air conditioned, and it's away from people. And that is the perfect place if you're in the middle of Epcot, particularly at the height of the day, to just sneak away for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. Maybe uh, take some uh, bak- baklava in there with you. And uh, just have a little chill moment. If you bar the doors. (laughs) But see, that's the thing. You don't even have to bar the doors. Like, if we're talking about places to relax, I will give it to you. You are not going to be bothered in there. You don't have to bar the doors because people are, people don't just, they just don't go in there. The occasional person walks in. I've been in there by myself for a long time, but people are in and out, like, one at a time. True, and very but if you rarely. give them if you give them a dirty enough look, they usually turn and leave. If you just bar the door just a little bit, not enough to be like illegal, like where a cast member would come by and be like, "Who <laughs> did this?" and really care, like just a water bottle, you know, between the two <laughs> handles, just enough where the average person would pull on it because they're not going to pull on it confidently in the first place because they're not sure they're supposed to be there. So they're just going to kind of pull just a little, and if it doesn't budge, oh, we're not supposed to be in there, and they're gone. I felt like when we were in there, there were several parties who would walk in and we'd kind of make eye contact with them and they immediately got the impression that they weren't supposed to be in there and they just left. 
That's what I'm saying. Like, you give them, you give them some shade, and they leave. <laughs> Not enough to be illegal. Not enough to be a fire hazard. Just a water bottle. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's great. All right. That brings us to numero uno. I uh, don't think mine's going to come as a surprise to anyone who knows how I like to take a break and relax while vacationing at Walt Disney World. Monsters, Inc. Laugh Floor. You got it. <laughs> Nothing like a good chuckle and some poor animation. No, I... Let's go uh, generally with the table service. A table service restaurant. Make a reservation and just chill out for lunch or dinner. My personal favorite of these table service restaurants is Ohana. And my favorite time to visit Ohana is in the late parts of the evening, so 9 to 10. Now, part of this has been forced upon me because that's oftentimes the only time you can find a reservation. Unless you go earlier, like 4 to 5. But it has made me love it at that time of night because it is quiet er. You know, all the families and the coconut racing children, um, for the most part, have gone back to their hotels. That still happens, though. Um, but but it's just a it's just a nice experience in the dark. A Polynesian the Polynesian Village Resort is nice anyway. And then kind of ending a, a busy day by just stretching out. You know, nobody's coming to your table after you, so you don't feel that kind of need to hurry up and leave. And you can just linger and linger and linger and linger. Um, which I've done several times eating late at Ohana. So uh, just Ohana in general, but just find yourself a nice table service restaurant to go to that appeals to you and let that be your chill moment for the day. Oh, yeah. I mean, how many times have we talked about the importance of at least booking one table service restaurant during your vacation? Because it's amazing what that can do for your spirit and your body. Mm, uh, feed my soul and my body. We've talked about it about 14 times to answer your question. Oh, okay, good. Thank you. I was hoping you'd have that number ready to go. Mine is actually very similar, um, but mine is not necessarily a table service restaurant. And this is just personal preference. This is something I find that I've done quite a bit lately when I need a break. And it's just go to a resort and even go to one of their quick service restaurants. So... Um, I remember my parents and I were at Animal Kingdom and we needed to get to Magic Kingdom. And I know that the buses from park to park are not always reliable and we were hungry. So I'm like, let's just get on the first first bus that comes to resort. We'll go to that resort, eat, and then we'll go to Magic Kingdom. And not surprisingly, the first bus that showed up at Animal Kingdom was Animal Kingdom Lodge. So we immediately hopped on it and went to the Mara And it was just so chill in there. There really weren't that many people. Um, At a quick service restaurant at a hotel, as opposed to the parks, there aren't families with kids just like backed up 10 people in line saying, what do you want? What do you want as a side with your chicken nuggets? And like everybody's stressed out and you get to the counter and you're like, I don't know if I'm on the dining plan. It's not like that at all. No matter where I go, deluxe resort, quick service. And then you just find a table on your own. You can stay as long as you want. Nobody's standing around waiting for your table when you're done. And then when you're done, like, you can even walk around the resort if you want. Like, those deluxe resorts have great pathways outside, or you can check out the lobby. And for an hour or two, you can just be away from the parks, rejuvenate, have a really good meal because the the food's made fresh at the resorts. 
and then get back on your way. For instance, when I ate at Captain Cook's last week, I spent $7.66 on my uh, pork fried rice. And it was a very big serving of pork fried rice. And that's super reasonable. You can't, you're going to pay $16 at Pecos Bill. That's comparable to your average, you know, like Chinese restaurant in your hometown. I mean, that's, and that's not an insult. Like that's, that's an excellent price. It really is. And it was the, it was probably a bigger portion too. Yeah. So. Huh. That, that, that sounds like a bargain. <laughs> Matt was dropping the ball there. Thank you, Derek, for picking it up. Sorry, there. I was muted. I said bargain. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my number one, and this, as I as I think about it, and as I'm looking towards the future of hopefully moving back to Florida here very soon, this is the thing that I think I have absolutely missed the most. And you guys know I've missed a lot about the Disney parks, but this I am looking forward to the most because this is my favorite thing in the whole world to do because it is so relaxing, and I just find so much. Just, just not even a day in the park restoration from it, but I find just life restoration from this sort of thing. And that is, I love strolling through the World Showcase at dusk mm. on a pleasant evening with light crowds. And just having no agenda, having no plan as far as I'm going to go ride this, I got to look in this, nope, just strolling through the world showcase maybe not even stopping in the pavilions but just casually walking by and just taking it in from from the pathway grabbing a a beverage usually a tipsy duck in love and just (laughs) enjoying the sunset i have seen the best sunsets of my life around the world showcase lagoon and it's 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 wonderful. I was just thinking about as I was thinking about this list, Matt. Remember the last time I was with you and Jessica and uh, Anna, and we were seated at those tables that are in between um, the African Outpost and uh, what was that um, Germany? Italy. Italy, right there. And, or Germany. Uh, now I'm confused. It's uh, it's right. Germany. You're right. Okay, they're kind of right there at the corner of uh, of, of the by the African Outpost. There's some tables. And that's where we ended up staying for Illuminations. But we must have sat there for a good hour before Illumination started, just, mm-hmm. you know, having a snack, sitting, enjoying the sunset, enjoying the weather. It is good for the soul. Amen. Absolutely. Well, I think the secret is when you said having no agenda. Like, honestly, I can take it easy anywhere if I don't have an agenda. It didn't make my list, but I was even thinking about just, like, Main Street USA. When you don't have an agenda, it doesn't matter how many people are on Main Street. I can still just kind of walk around and enjoy it or, you know, peek in the Emporium or check out the Dapper Dans or whatever. Totally. And I think that's what separates people who are avid Disney fans like us to your average day-to-day person who doesn't get the Disney fandom. Because the those kind of people, when you tell them, I go to the park sometimes and I don't do anything except just relax, they're like, what? You don't ride anything? You don't do anything? It's like, no, I can go there and not ride in a single attraction, see a single show, do nothing except walk around and enjoy it. And that's fun to me. I agree. In fact, I agree with all of those responses. And listeners, if you have any favorite ways to relax that we did not mention, you can send those to us. Let us know at comments at madchatters.net. Or you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at madchatters. Or you can like our Facebook page. 
Um, We will see you next week, but until then, we hope you have a wonderful and relaxing Labor Day. Take a little time to find the magic in every day. Bye-bye now. And just chill out for lunch or dinner, you know, whenever you feel like it, you need to take a little moment and, and enjoy. Personally, sorry, there's somebody died or something. <laughs> it's, that tip is so good, that it's illegal. Yeah, they're kind of <laughs> like five of them. Are they hiring? See, they got an application, Matthew. <laughs> I will do that when they get the person up on the stretcher. There you go. I hate to bother you. No, you're in the middle of something, but uh, how much y'all pay? How's My your 401k? <laughs> Hand me an application. Right then? Good? Oh, that's where we're going to end it? Okay. I mean, no, I was going to segue, but I didn't want to gotcha. cut you off. No, I'm good. And Disney Parks fans, we are. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Captain Obvious. <laughs> One hundred percent. I don't know how to end this. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> now everything I say sounds stupid. I'm so relaxed. I don't even know how to close the show. Are you high right now? <laughs> yeah. Yes. I slept two and a half hours last night. By the way, I feel like a tag at the end of this episode needs to be me clarifying that I don't do drugs and I don't promote doing drugs. So don't do drugs, kids. Yes, that was that. I know when I joked about that, I thought you would pipe in with. Well, I was like, well, if I sit there and go, no, I don't. That just makes it sound like I do even more. (laughs) Okay. 100% agreed. And us Disney Parks fans. Oh my gosh, y'all, why is this so hard? I really don't know. Okay, I'll say it. Ready? Yeah, please. Well, I kind of ended the last Yeah, <laughs> I know, okay. So. I agree. In fact, I agree with all of those responses. I... <laughs> just, say, just, say, just, say, just say I agree, and then I'll, I'll go from there. Uh, no, I think I got it. Hold on.